morning. How are you today? That song, as we sang it, His Mercy is More. I don't know about you, but it resonates in my heart today as I stand before you, uh, feeling at times inadequate to be up here and speaking and, and opening up God's Word. But I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Tim Nice, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14 this morning. Sharks amaze and terrify me at the same time. Anybody else? Sharks amaze and terrify you at the same time? I try to make it the point, a point to watch Shark Week every single summer when it airs, and any time that a movie comes out that sharks are in it, I'm the first in line, and I try to drag my family uh, to, see, to see that movie or watch it. I've had a few shark encounters while snorkeling or boogie boarding uh, that have truly freaked me out. So I guess some of my life experiences combined with my vivid imagination, my inquisitive nature, and my adventurous spirit have led me to have a bit of a love-hate relationship with sharks. Our family loves the ocean. We go to it as much as we can. I really hate having to chase my kids out into deep water when they try to swim as far out as they can for the lifeguards to blow the whistle. It's only happened a few times, but I hate it when that happens. It's kind of my unwritten rule not to be the farthest person out in the water. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my family teases me about this, too, and I accept it. I understand. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm a wimp. My rationale is that, uh, that all the sharks will go for the guy that the, that's the farthest out or splashing the most, right? And so... If I play it cool, if I stay just outside that outer perimeter, I'm safe. The sharks won't get me. It's good reasoning, right? Good rationale? We probably, some of us have probably can relate to that. About 12 years ago, my family was visiting the Camden Aquarium. Uh, it was our first experience. We had a great time there. But during our visit, there was an advertisement there that said, swim with the sharks, encounter the sharks yourself. At that time, our oldest son was about eight years old, and I remember him looking at that sign and, and, and seeing it and saying, turning to us and saying right away, Dad, Mom, can I, can I swim with the sharks? <laughs> and that was my nightmare, right? Oh, my word, no, that's not something I would want to do. But uh, at the time, we had an out because the age limit was 12 years old, and he was eight or nine. And, he had, and also, the out was that he had to swim with an adult, you know, a parent or a guardian. And so I had a bit of an out. My wife looked at me quickly as, we were, as he was asking this question, can I? Knowing there was a lot of time on my side, we looked at each other and she said before I could say it to her, I think this should be a dad and son bonding experience. <laughs> and I knew I was in for it. So we said to our son, yes, yes, you can swim with the sharks. And I quietly and secretly hoped that he would forget. Sure enough, as his 12th birthday neared, we asked him what he might want to do for his 12th birthday, and what do you think he immediately said? I want to swim with the sharks. And so my, my, my fate was sealed. I had to approach this, and I had to conquer this fear. As the big day approached, I grew more and more excited and nervous about this experience. There were times I thought of excuses as to why we should not do this, but I didn't want to appear wimpy or let my son down. And so we followed through. That big day came where I signed my life and his life away. We got in our swim gear. 
We listen to our guide's instructions and we hit the water. For the better part of an hour, we had an opportunity to swim with sharks. I learned that sharks were about as curious of me as I was of them. They would actually swim up within a few few inches of my mask and then turn away. The experience was amazing, and it wasn't as life-threatening as my imagination led me to believe. That day, I, I not only checked off from my bucket list something that I had always wanted to do, I conquered a fear that I had always had, but what stands out to me most about that day is how my view of sharks dramatically changed from that experience. Don't get me wrong, I still have a very healthy respect and awareness of sharks. But I no longer view them as man-eating predators that want to eat me. All of them. Like Hollywood makes, me, makes, me, makes them seem. My swimming with the sharks encounter caused me to see them differently. It was kind of like I put on a pair of glasses that allowed me to see and understand them clearer. Since then, I've been able to enjoy exploring the underwater world of the ocean without the anxiety and the fear that I had before. And I'm thankful for that experience. You know, part of living requires encounters. And part of living also, if we want to have encounters, sometimes it requires that we take chance. Most encounters we have on a day-to-day basis are normal and mundane. Nothing special. But every once in a while, stepping out of our comfort zone and taking a risk for an encounter makes for a very memorable experience and sometimes life-changing experience. The company that I work for sends people to Israel on Bible land study tours. These tours give people an opportunity to walk where Jesus walked and experience the sights of the Bible. I often talk to people who have never traveled outside the United States. They're just getting their passport for the first time, much less they've never traveled to the Middle East. They are cautious, they're reserved, they're fearful, but the ones that sign up and travel and actually experience this trip are often the ones that call me back afterwards and relate with excitement their experience. They say, Tim, I I can't tell you anything other than it was life-changing or they share that I will never be the same because I understand and I countered the lands of the Bible in a very different way. It's so much more meaningful for me. It was well worth the chance to gain that experience. Can you imagine what it was like to have actually been a disciple of Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to have walked and talked and listened and watched the story of Jesus unfold? to encounter Jesus not through the stories of the Bible as we read them, but to actually live with him for three years, to see him heal, to see him create miracles, to see him command nature. And then leading up to Mark chapter 14. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Mark in a series entitled Simply Jesus, inviting you each week to encounter Jesus. to study his life, to better understand what he valued, and to see him more clearly. You may be asking the question, what is so special about Jesus that I would want to be like him or live for him? What's so special about him? Why are so many people in love with Jesus? 
why does Jesus, or why would Jesus love me? Doesn't he know how bad I am? And I think these are all fair questions, all questions some of us have wrestled through or will wrestle through or are wrestling through now. Questions that, these type questions are what we hope to find answers as we learn more about him. The big idea that I want to convey to you this morning is that Jesus changes everything when I encounter him in a way that I understand and I believe his message. I'll repeat it again. Jesus changes everything when I encounter him in a way that I understand and I believe his message. Let's begin in Mark chapter 14, page 826 of the Bible in front of you. Follow along in a device that you brought. We'll begin reading in verse 12. Mark chapter 14, verse 12 says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. What is the Passover? We probably have heard about it, but what is the Passover? The Passover celebration was a holiday meal. For the ancient Jews, and still for even Jews today, Passover was an annual meal that remembered a defining moment in the history of Israel while they were held in bondage in Egypt. The first Passover meal was, was, uh, took place in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, chapters 11 and 12. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. It says this, On that same night I I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance." So God told Moses and Aaron to tell the people of Israel that as part of the tenth and final plague against Pharaoh and the land of Egypt, he was going to kill all the firstborn males of the land at midnight. The people of Israel could be spared if they trusted and followed God's instruction. The instructions given were for each household to take a year-old male lamb to kill it and take the blood and to put that blood on the doorposts of the home. They were then to roast the lamb and eat that lamb that evening along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They were to eat that meal with their clothing on, their sandals on, their cloak on, their staff in hand, and they were to eat it quickly because it was Jehovah's Passover. In other words, be ready because salvation of bondage is coming. That night, the people of Israel had a choice. In every home in Egypt, the Jews and Egyptians alike a firstborn was going to die under the wrath of justice. The only way for your family to escape was to put your faith in God's sacrificial provision by killing a lamb 
and putting the blood on the door as a sign of your faith in God. The Bible accounts that night at midnight, all the firstborn males of the land died who had not followed God's instructions. And this included Pharaoh's firstborn. The Lord passed over all households, all households who, were, who were obedient to his instructions. This was the last straw for Pharaoh and his hardened heart. And he, with his lost son, he released Israel from bondage and said, Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Israel was released from bondage. God instructed Israel to celebrate this event in what we call the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a holiday, a one-week holiday. And one of the main events of this holiday is the Passover meal. This feast took place at the same time on the Jewish calendar each year and was meant to be a remembrance and celebration as to how God rescued Israel from the rule of the Egyptians. So over 1,400 years from that time, from that bondage time where they were released until now, we come to the account that we find in Mark chapter 14. So for 1,400 years, they have been participating in the Passover supper. This celebration, if we were to compare it, which I don't like to compare it, if we were to compare it to a holiday, we would, we would try to compare it to maybe our Thanksgiving. If we were to compare both holidays, remember the past and are thankful for God's protection and provision. The Passover celebration, however, is very different. It's a scripted meal with prayer times, song times, readings, eating specific food at certain times on your plate, drinking uh, specific times to drink wine. Our Thanksgiving meals normally turkey, stuffing, pumpkin pie, and football, right? With a few, with a few thankful testimonies mixed in, right? We usually eat our Thanksgiving meal as quickly as we can so we can watch the football game that's on. This is very different. The Passover meal is a two, three-hour event in which they are very, very orderly in what they do. So understanding the Passover meal is normally very orderly and scripted. Jesus is going to make a few astonishing statements to the plan. And so verses 17 through 21 of Mark 14 says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. A dinner meant to be focused on God and his goodness gets sabotaged with the bombshell betrayal. One of the twelve disciples eating the Passover meal was going to betray him. A follower of his, of his for three years. You imagine the friendship, the brotherhood, and this taking place. With sweaty palms, flushed faces, and lumps in their throats, each of the disciples don't start pointing fingers at each other saying, it's got to be him, it's got to be him. They turn inward and they look at Christ, they look at Jesus and say, surely not I. Surely it couldn't be me, Lord. We're going to talk more about betrayal in coming weeks. So this meal continues with Jesus making some statements which are truly eye-opening. Up to this point, Jesus had told his disciples that his time had not yet come. 
A lot of his ministry had been done, and he kept saying, that don't make it public, my time has not yet come. His disciples understood and, and recognized that he was the deliverer, the, the Messiah, but they thought that he was going to be the physical deliverer. He was going to lead this charge to be able to have, uh, have uh, victory over the Romans that were oppressing them. They didn't understand that this was going to be different. Up to this point, it had been quiet, but his disciples were coming for a surprise. In verse 20, 22, Jesus surprises them even more by this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So imagine the astonishment of the disciples when, blessing the elements and explaining their symbolism, Jesus departs from the script of a normal Passover meal that's been reenacted for generations by, to generations, and he shows them the bread and he says, this is my body. What does that mean? Jesus, what are you saying? This is my body. Eating the bread during the Passover meal was meant to remember the affliction of slaves. Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction, the bread of my suffering, because I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus and bring you the ultimate deliverance from bondage. I'm going to be the sacrifice so that you can be free from the bondage and penalty of sin. He's changing things up. He's changing everything in the order of what they believed. In ancient times when someone would say, I'm not going to eat or drink until I fill in the blank. They were making an oath. For example, in Acts chapter 23, the people were so ticked off at the Apostle Paul, they promised that they were not going to eat or drink until they killed him. It's like saying, I'm going to do this if it kills me. In biblical times, this was an oath that was taken very seriously and it was literally marked with blood. This oath meant that you were making a new covenant and that's what we see Jesus doing here. By saying, my blood, he's making a new covenant with the people. Jesus' words mean that as a result of what he's going to do on the cross in the coming day, there is now a new covenant between God and mankind. And the basis of this relationship is Jesus' own blood. With these simple gestures of holding up the bread and the wine, with simple words, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus is saying that all the earlier deliverances, the earlier sacrifices, all the Passover lambs were all pointing to himself. Just as the first Passover was observed, the night before God redeemed the Israelites from slavery and bondage in Egypt, this Passover meal was very different. It was eaten that night before God redeemed the world from sin and death through the blood of Jesus. You know, Jesus' last meal with his disciples departed from the script in another way. When Jesus stood to bless the food, he held up the bread. All Passover meals had bread. He blessed the wine. All Passover meals have wine. But not one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, talk about a main course. 
there's no mention of lamb in the Passover meal. What kind of Passover would be celebrated without a lamb? There was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. Jesus was the symbolic main course. That's the reason that when John the Baptist, three years earlier, saw Jesus for the first time, he looked and publicly said, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's also why in Isaiah 53, the prophet prophesies of the Messiah. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. In Mark, when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, poured out, he means, I'm the one that Isaiah and John spoke about. I'm the Lamb of God to which all other lambs pointed to. I'm the Lamb that is, that is going to take away the sins of the world. Imagine what the disciples must have been thinking at this point. I can understand why these guys fell asleep a couple hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, Stay up and pray with me. This is a mind-bender. They were probably mentally exhausted trying to understand this concept. Jesus was changing everything. What I love about the message of Jesus is that he invites us to be part of it. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. He asks us to take it. At this Passover supper, Jesus changed everything as he revealed that he was the Savior of the world. The last three years of his ministry were spent making radical changes to the way people thought normal should be. His ministry focused on the worst of sinners the poor, the needy, the lame, the sick. The unvalued, he valued. The disrespected, he respected. The unloved, he loved. By his life, he taught that love and acceptance were more important than going to church and appearing spiritual. I think that it will probably take the disciples a few days or maybe even a few more weeks to really finally look back and understand what this all meant. But at some point, the light bulb came on for these guys. The disciples were radically changed by the message of Jesus. Their encounter with Jesus, which took risk, led them to live passionate, courageous lives that focused on sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others. As a church, the Passover supper that we've read about this morning in Mark chapter 14 and is listed in, by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's a time in which we remember and we celebrate what Jesus did for us as the Passover lamb. It's a time that we look back and we celebrate the time which we encountered Jesus and accepted by faith his message into our lives. We're going to do that together in a few minutes. You remember I said Jesus changes everything when I encounter him in a way that I understand and believe his message. 
So what does that mean for us today? There may be some here today that are new to church. There may be some here today that are exploring Jesus, are interested in knowing more about Jesus. We want you to know that God loves you, and so do we. And we invite you back. We want our church to be a church of love and acceptance where you feel safe to encounter Jesus and ask questions. There are others here today that have already encountered Jesus and believed his message. And we're on a, we're on a, a path of relationship. Some of us have just done it and others have, have, have encountered Jesus and have lived with him and allowed him to work on our lives for 50 plus years. It's personal for you. Your encounter with Jesus has changed things. You're a new creation. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, when I accept Jesus into my life and believe in him, not right, not immediately, but my priorities will start to change. My focuses will start to change. My desires will start to change. Not overnight, but as the message of Jesus starts to make sense and my faith grows, the Holy Spirit quietly guides and leads us to start to change. What does that look like? What does becoming like Jesus allow me to do that I probably could never have understood before? Well, one, Jesus says to love my enemies. Bless those that curse me. Do good to those that hate me. Pray for those that abuse me. Wow, radical statements, right? Impossible. But we can. We can. And we do. One of the things that I love about God is that he pursues us. He does. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says that says this, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I believe that God pursues people so that they can meet Jesus. I have no doubt that God has pursued me. I have no doubt. He's allowed circumstances and brought people into my life in a way that I was ready to meet Jesus. Now that Jesus is part of my life, I'm thankful that God was not just done there. Even today, having been a follower of Jesus for over 20 years for myself, God continues to allow me to encounter Jesus and mold me to make me the follower of Jesus he wants me to be. Don't get me wrong, I fail many times much more than I succeed, right? We all do. And I'm nowhere near finished. But I'm excited for the next encounter that I'm going to have with Jesus. This past month, I'm going to share with you an encounter I've had with Jesus. It's through through the form of a book. I hate to read. I hate it. I read all day at work. And so my wife knows that, and she graciously, she read through a book that um, was very impactful for her. And she said, Tim, I'd love you to read this book. I don't want to read it. I don't want to read it. So she downloaded it for me on Audible. And I listened to it in the car. And this book 
The name of this book is called Love Does by Bob Goff. This book, as I listen to this book, the, the stories and messages of how, of how somebody understood Jesus more and through his life has allowed the love of Christ to come out of his life and to others. It profoundly changed me. And I'm honest, honestly, reading this book and, or listening to this book and these experiences have been for this past month for me a way in which I have understood the love of Jesus better. And I've met Jesus. I'm excited for the next encounter I have with him. So Jesus quietly and patiently knocks on the door to your heart. What will you do with Jesus? Will you take the chance and invite him into your life? Let's pray. Father, your word says in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that you love the world so much that you gave your son Jesus to us as the Passover lamb. To a world of sinners who can't save themselves and have no way to be able to save themselves. And whoever believes in Jesus will have life. You didn't send your son into this world to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. And we claim that and we celebrate that as we study the book of Mark. We love you and look forward to meeting you in different ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everything. Sorry about that. This idea of Jesus changing everything. Uh, Jesus changed my life. And uh, it was nothing that I did that changed me. It was everything that Jesus did that changed me. When we sit and contemplate this idea of communion, uh, it's something that we practice in the church. We need to connect it to what's really taking place. For 1,400 years, the Jewish people practiced communion the same way. This idea of Seder, the word Seder means order. There was a particular order. They did things year after year after year after year. And the night that Jesus passed the bread and passed the cup, he changed everything. We're going to start uh, by passing the bread. And uh, as we pass that around the room, we're going to be playing some stories of people here at the church, uh, their stories that they shared with us about how Jesus changed their lives. Guys can come on forward. How Jesus changed their lives. You know, you might be sitting here today and you might recognize that Jesus hasn't changed your life yet. You can do that while you're sitting right here, right here today. Take a listen to these stories as we pass the bread. I know that I need Jesus in order to experience freedom and forgiveness. Having finally let go and giving Christ control of my life has resulted in a peace and comfort that I never knew before. Although change has been difficult at times, sometimes even painful, I know that God has walked with me every step of the way. Four years ago, my wife and I began to attend CCC. My entire world changed. I learned that I could be forgiven. I never knew this. 
I started praying and telling the Lord my sins, and I experienced his forgiveness. With the help and love from our church and our small group, I know that nothing is too great for my Lord and Savior Jesus. I spent one night lying on the floor, crying out to God to save me. He did, and it was amazing. My life has been forever changed. There have been many ups and downs since. This year, I connected with God on a new level, even more than I have in the past. He has forever changed my life. February 2014, I was trying to drown out the world around me, and God showed up. I can't explain it exactly, except to say that he told me the story of his love in a way I could understand, and everything changed. Not because of anything I have done, but because of who God is, I can stand here today and say, I am redeemed and my hope has been restored. The truth is that it is incredible to know our Heavenly Father and know He loves me and how He gave His only perfect Son, Jesus, to die for me while I was still a sinner so that I could have eternal life with Him. the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, we read, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they took the bread, they passed a cup and that cup was wine and that wine represented the blood that was spread on the doorposts as the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt and that night God passed over the city and anyone who was not obedient to spreading the blood on those doorposts lost their firstborn child God didn't just kill children he killed adult men who were firstborn not only that, if it was a firstborn cow, it died. He expected them to be obedient to what he had said. The Israelites looked back at this night and remembered. We look back at a different night. That night that Jesus changed everything, he made the statement about how the blood, or that the cup represents his blood. He started a new covenant. He started something new that night. The guys are going to come forward now. We're going to pass the cup. This cup represents Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is once and for all. It's not something that we have to do week after week, year after year, to continually earn our forgiveness from God. His blood covered us once and for all. Take a listen to some of these stories about how Jesus changed everything and the lives of some of the people here at CCC. Before Jesus was in my life, I felt empty inside and always felt alone. Everywhere I went, I felt like something was holding me down. Since I found Jesus and accepted him, I feel happy and I'm never alone. Since then, I feel like nothing could hold me down anymore, like it all left me. Before I accepted Jesus as my Savior in my life, I felt as if there were no point in life. I need Jesus because without him, I feel lost. 
Jesus died on the cross for my sins and so that I could have a relationship with God. I received this gift of forgiveness while I was going to Flipside, CCC's middle school youth group. Jesus has made a difference in my life in the fact that I now feel life has a point and is worth living. Having Christ in my life has definitely opened up my eyes to a new life outside of myself. I have learned to let God be in control because in the end, he knows what is best for me and he will never point me in the wrong direction. These words have remained true in my life. Ezekiel 34:16 says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I am so thankful for Jesus' unconditional love and faithfulness to me. He has loved me at my worst and has given his life for me. Because of him, I no longer have to search for joy and love. same way after supper he took a cup saying this cup is the new testament my blood do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me in the book of mark it says after they ate supper they went out and sang a hymn together we're not going to sing a hymn but we are going to sing in celebration i encourage you to stand and sing with the band as we reflect on what we're doing yes let's stand
the scars by the scars on your feet and hands every trace of guilt in your freedom mentioned the connection cards at the beginning of the service and maybe today as you were sitting here you've come to a realization that you've never accepted that forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. I want to give you an opportunity now just to mark that on your card. If this is something that you have made a decision to do or step towards, uh, I'd, I'd love to follow up with you through this week. We want to get you connected with people who can help you take next steps in your relationship with Jesus Christ because 
We believe that Jesus changes everything here. I'm going to go ahead and have the guys come forward. You know, when we contemplate what Jesus did that night, have you ever stopped to consider that our calendars point back to that evening? It's funny that we're 2,020 years away from what Jesus Christ did. Just like the, disciples, or the, the children of Israel were looking 1,400 years in the past in the event that took place at Passover, we look back 2,020 years, 2,000, 2000 years ago, at what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He changed history. He changed history. We restructured our whole calendar around this guy. It's amazing what he did. And he didn't just change the history of the world. He changed my personal history. He changed many people's personal history in this room. He's given you new hope. True hope is found in what Jesus Christ does for us. It's nothing that I've done on my own. It's nothing that you can do on your own. It is totally about what he has done on the cross for us. The blood that he shed is permanent for us. It's not like the blood that was on those doorposts. This is what I want you to do as you walk out of the door today. I want you to stand up and shake hands with somebody and let them know that Jesus changes everything. I'm going to be up front. If Jesus changed your life while you were here today, come let me know. I want to celebrate with you. So glad you're here. You are dismissed. On my heart this word is written, forgiven, forgiven.